Hello there, it's Chappie the British Butler, it's Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, episode 68, and we have a historic storm coming to Colorado. We may get up to 30 inches. 30 inches. So to prepare, I did see something on the internet that uh, it said it would uh, gain extra hair for oneself. So I, uh, I, I got this spray and I sprayed it over my back and my chest and I've got about five inches extra of uh, chest and back hair. So I'm going to be fine. It's almost like a goose down. I'm going to be very well protected indeed, I think, uh, which is which is marvelous. I tried it on Jack the Rat Terrier, uh, Chihuahua mix, and uh, yeah, he, he has no hair. So I'm going to have to put him in a little bunny outfit, I think, for the uh, duration of the storm. Uh, but it's lovely to be here. Um, and uh, we've got a, a sort of fun pack show today. Uh, we're sort of mixing St. Patrick's Day and snow. Uh, so we have uh, some uh, snowy Irish jokes basically coming your way, um, which is rather lovely. I did also find a, uh, a generator because I'm worried about the power going out. So I went to the stores. I spent about an hour at the stores, you know, picking up essential items such as Cadbury mini eggs, uh, bananas, um, also some uh, spicy hot uh, pretzels. I mean, all the things you need to get for a storm, basically. Absolute essentials, I would say. But I did see a, uh, a generator. Uh, it's fueled by goose poop. So I got this. I, I've been collecting goose poop, probably a, a couple of tons worth. So I think uh, if I put this in, it'll fire up the generator. It'll, it'll, it'll incinerate the goose poop and create electricity. So I, I think I'm good for about three or four days of extreme snow. And if the power goes out, I do have my goose poop generator. So that's absolutely fantastic. I'm very, very happy about that indeed. Uh, but some of the things that we uh, may or may not uh, be looking at in terms of the podcast today, uh, and we've got a you know fun-packed show to say the least, is um, uh, my nephew's a little bit cheeky, a little bit naughty. Uh, and um, you know they're learning to talk properly at the moment uh, they do have little cute English accents much cuter than mine and uh, they, they've got uh, they, they see their grandmother my mother as, as a bit of a sort of ninja but they, they they've sort of got the um, they got the name wrong slightly and it's a little bit uncomfortable but uh, we'll be talking about that later also my favorite cricketing field positions uh, we'll be discussing that um, also um, which uh, celebrities have passed their sell-by date? Sort of TikTok, TikTok. Their clocks are running out. Um, the uh, unison of uh, dog toys, and um, Maggie's got a couple of dog toys that, uh, well, you know, they're keeping her entertained, but they're rather irritating in terms of the sounds. I'm sure you've uh, heard of them. I'm sure you've had that issue before as well. Uh, but uh, we'll be talking about that on the uh, podcast today. And also, um, a neighbor left out something outside of his house that uh, really sort of perturbed me um, and uh, made me think about uh, why do people leave these things out of the house and, um, you know, what uh, what is the reasoning for it? And um, it could cause a rather nasty injury for somebody as well. Um, also, Pi Day is coming up as well. My thoughts on Pi Day, uh, a very famous rock song 
made me think well this is absolute nonsense it doesn't make any sense at all so uh, we'll be uh, talking about that and uh, really drilling into that uh, over the next uh, over the next hour or so um i hallelujah i did get my uh, dishwasher fixed i know again first world problems chatty chappy my dear boy but um yes it is fixed um but the, the plumber who came around was a rather interesting fellow and um anyway tales from a plumber later on i think um gordon ramsay has created his beef wellington kit as well um we're seeing sort of keep calm and cauliflower cheese as uh, our new tagline is the flatulence fix um did you see the big interview did you see the huge interview on sunday sunday in the u.s and monday in the uk it was a, a couple of corgis gathered around a microphone uh, a couple of the queen's new corgis that's that that's what happened on uh, on sunday and also monday in the uk um but uh, also continuing our podcast series of inanimate objects that look like rude things uh that's uh, something else we can add to the uh, rota the charter of uh, of the podcast uh, today uh millionaire sells classic bentley collection to pay for divorce dogs are on the scent of a covid uh, week before the positive test men hit with the botox to cope with the cruel gaze of zoom a uh, new look for grandmother of humanity uh, plan to bring back Willie Manus to tackle climate change. Um, also, a great diarist can be spiteful, wicked, but never boring. Uh, rescue dog drags owners to safety after he has a stroke. Um, and also, will this March turn into a savage beast? Well, here in Colorado, it is. They, it always says that March comes in like a lion and, and goes out like a lamb. Well, I don't know what the middle of the month is, but this is, looks like an this looks like a great white shark in the middle of the month here, in terms of uh, in terms of that uh, little metaphor. Um, the uh, French elite trembles as Madame Valerie bears secrets of Paris swingers salon. So we've got a, a big show here. Uh, we may have a, um, a ghostly fireside butler tale. Uh, we have a historical Tinder coming along today or tomorrow. Uh, we have another enigmatic English eccentric habit. And we also have, as always, some uh, Trump or trombone, where we look at some of the most uh, awful headlines of the week and we equate them to a Trump or indeed a trombone. Anyway, settle down. I'm going to try to keep warm. Uh, I have the hand warmers going already. Uh, the coldness is setting in and you've got a very chilly, frostbitten butler. I mean, nobody needs to panic, though. Nobody needs to panic because, uh, I mean, a lot of people are thinking, well, Chappie, what happens if your power goes out? You know, power goes out tomorrow. Will you be able to provide us a Saturday podcast? But a lot of people, I mean, it's like uh, it, it, they set a clock to it. So they set a clock to the Friday podcast and now the Saturday podcast. And they're, they're thinking without, you know, I do have the goose poop generator, which may keep things going for me uh, in the in the light of uh, any energy shortages or power cuts. But I'm also thinking, um, uh, you know, I have enough of my devices powered up. I will provide you the podcast by hook or indeed, sir, by crook. So there's a game changing anti-COVID spray created in an inventor's home lab. Um, Michael Pritchard woke up on March the 15th last year, a week before the UK's first lockdown was declared, and uh, decided that the world urgently needed a military-grade antiviral spray. The 53-year-old employed inventor entered his private lab at his three-bedroom home in Colchester and Essex in the UK and started working on a series of demo sprays to deliver the disinfectant. I'm very lucky. If I could spend all day in my laboratory at home, I would. 
If I need to make an aerosol, I can there. If I need to mess around with gases, I can. I absolutely love it. So it took us from start to finish, 12 weeks to develop and tested. When you work with the army, uh, when it's at war, because in, in effect, we're at war with the virus and their ability to work at pace is beyond belief. People were saying it's not going to affect us, it's not coming here. And I thought, how do you know that? It's here and it's going to change everything. Uh, so he believes the disinfectant could have a key role in easing the nation's safety uh, from lockdown and will change the way we combat the virus, but only when enough of us grasp the difference between the antibacterial and antiviral products. Uh, Pritchard is baffled that antibacterial gels have overwhelmingly been the nation's preferred protection in homes, uh, even at doctor's surgeries when the enemy is the virus rather than bacterium. If nothing else, I want people to know the difference between an antibacterial and antiviral and use the right uh, tool for the job. Um, and he says it's a tricky uh, definition. People uh, remember when they were saying it's just flu. The virus is very different. It's called an enveloped virus and has a fatty protective layer. Flu will hang around the surfaces of 24 to 48 hours, but the coronavirus will hang around for 28 days. And if it gets colder, it hangs around for longer. So, I mean, I, I, I remember some of these... Um, I don't know when when I was a teenage lad, a teenage chap back in the day. And some of these uh, uh, perfumes, uh, antiperspirants and also aftershaves, they, I mean, I do believe that they could probably kill the virus without a doubt. They were a hideous smell, uh, a, a mixture of brute and old spice, some of them, that uh, could probably have taken pains off the walls and probably would kill even the most infectious of all diseases. So don't you just love uh, little kids and how they pronounce things? Children do have a, a rather lovely way of pronouncing uh, new words and uh, really sort of uh, learning elocution. Um, so my, my uh, daughter, uh, Catherine, couldn't pronounce uh, her name for a long time. She pronounced it Captain, so she's now known as Captain. But also my nephews, um, they're, they're, they're sort of favorite character at the moment, I would say. Uh, is is probably like a, a ninja. I mean, they like all the superheroes as well, but love ninjas at the moment. Um, so my uh, my mother, their grandmother, is uh, is meant to be called. You know, basically grandmothers are superheroes themselves uh, or superhuman efforts anyway. And uh, they she's known as Nanny Ninja, but uh, they can't say ninja, and uh, it comes out as Nanny Minger or Nanny Minge. Um, so, rather sort of unfortunate, really, uh, sort of name if you look in English slang, if you go in the Urban Dictionary. I mean, my American listeners at the moment, uh, probably other world listeners are probably saying, well, what's wrong with that? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's sort of a rather unfortunate uh, term, Nanny Minger or Nanny Minge. Uh, and... Um, you, you don't want them repeating that in a supermarket, let's say, or, or, or you know, a crowded party once COVID ends. It could be rather, uh, rather unfortunate. Uh, it's like uh, it's like uh, going to the UK and uh, talking about wanting a fanny pack. Basically, it's the same sort of uncomfortable situation that could occur. Um, but uh, you know, little kids, delightful and amusing in their phraseology and their pronunciation, and indeed their elocution. So, we've heard of very odd Christmas presents and very odd birthday presents, uh, but Sergio Reguillon at Tottenham Hotspur, uh, the manager gave him a suckling pig for Christmas. Now, um, you may ask, I mean, it's sort of an odd one. I mean, it wasn't, they didn't give him the pig and he had to, like, slaughter it himself, like, do-it-yourself sort of situation. 
Um, but uh, Eric Lamella and Giovanni La Salsa were pictured together at a festive party in breach of lockdown rules. Uh, Regalian uh, remains well liked by Mourinho, um, and he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't flouting lockdown rules, Regalian. Uh, but he sent the young Spaniard a cooked suckling pig to eat on Christmas Day. It was a big piece of pork, Regalian last. I ate pork the whole day at home on the 25th, I promise. I know Jose knows what, what, what is best for me, and I feel the same about him. I love Spanish food. For me, it's my favourite food, the, uh, the the best food ever. Um, but, you know, I mean, rather odd Christmas presents. I mean, we, we all uh, get sort of socks and slightly odd uh, odd gifts that we put to one side or maybe re-gift. Um, but, you know, if you were like a vegetarian or vegan, you could never re-gift a suckling pig particularly. I mean, first of all, you wouldn't probably want to go near it, uh, you know. And then secondly, it's, you know, pieces of pork and large pieces of meat aren't the best when it comes to uh, re-gifting. I mean, I'm sure there's some carnivores out there who would love a re-gifted suckling pig. Um, it could it could probably make their Christmas and indeed their in, indeed their New Year, um, but uh, but you know what? That's probably one of the oddest Christmas gifts I've ever heard about, um, and um, you know it's uh, I, I guess I mean was it? I wonder if it was a pig that was that had been buried because there is a Mexican tradition where they actually do bury the pigs, um, and uh, and it's absolutely delicious tender meat uh, i have had this before um but um i don't know if the suckling pig had been buried and then uh, gift wrapped before given to his own player there's a little bit of a pig special on keep calm and cauliflower cheese today uh because i recently purchased a couple of new toys for maggie uh and they are rubber pigs and she absolutely loves these she runs around uh you know honking these pigs in her mouth and it's absolutely fantastic um, and it keeps her occupied uh, but on the other hand you know whilst I'm busy through the day it's perfectly fine uh, but the other morning I didn't wake up to a cock crowing uh, but it was a pig oinking and it created a new type of dream for me um, and it, it, people always say you should never watch horror movies but they go into your dreams thing. and I think absolute bunkum it, it never normally works that way for me anyway but it's created this new dream, and I was dreaming about the meat-eating carnivorous pigs um, in Florence from the movie and book Hannibal. Um, and it sort of melded into that along with Peppa Pig. Uh, and Peppa Pig was getting her revenge by eating human bacon, um, which was uh, her new favorite food. Um, but I've noticed that dogs also communicate across FaceTime, Skype, and all the other audio mediums we're using, audio visual mediums at the moment. So Maggie the other day was running around uh, having a real fair, real field day, honking the pig, oinking the pig. Um, and on the other end of the phone, uh, my doll's pig, uh, my doll's pig, my doll's dog had a pig in its mouth as well, rubber pig, um, and was oinking as well. And it was almost like quarrel. It was, it was, they were in unison, they were slightly different tone, and I do think that you could have a choir of dog, uh, dogs oinking pigs, um, and, and you could probably have some sort of pig oinking overture. I, I'm pretty sure this could in, indeed happen. Um, and uh, it is a dog's form of communication rather than barking. 
they squeak their toys uh, in unison and in tune uh, so they can communicate and say, well, when are we going to see you next? When are we going to walk again? What are we going to do? When are we going to see each other again? Did you have a nice uh, piece of steak tonight? No, I didn't. I had crappy dog food. You know, it, it's that sort of... Um, is that sort of choral musical uh, communication styles. So with snow coming back, and a lot of it, I think it's a real weekend for some comfort food. Soup, probably, but I'm thinking cheese on toast or grilled cheese. And there are many different forms of grilled cheese across, uh, across the whole world, uh, from croque monsieurs to toasted cheese to grilled cheese. Uh, but we have the uh, baru, in Brazil, named after the Brazilian city where it was created, Baru is made from mozzarella cheese melted in a, a bon marie over roast beef slices, tomato pickles on a French bun with soft inside of the bun removed. It's like, you know, it's like taking the potato out and restuffing it, but with, uh, you know, taking the pieces of the bread out and stuffing cheese in the bread. And then you've got the Bombay Masala Cheese Toasted Sandwich in India, a popular street food in Mumbai. The Indian version of grilled cheese sandwich is called the Mumbai Masala Cheese Toast Sandwich and is prepared with green chutney sauce, mashed potato mixed with various spices and a few vegetables like onion um, and also cumin. Uh, the cheese arepa uh, in South America is uh, South American. The traditional arepa becomes cheesy when cheese is melted in the middle of a baked into dough. Croque Monsieur, or the Croque Madame, uh, is a Croque Monsieur, the French equivalent to grilled cheese. Gruyere cheese is melted over a ham sandwich, uh, as well as inside of it. A Croque Madame is the same, but with a fried egg. Actually, you make a bechamel. So you make a flour, milk, butter, cheese sauce to go over the top of the Croque Monsieur and the beautiful Croque Madame. Uh, the Diabrita, uh, fried green plantains, take the place of bread in this Puerto Rico grilled cheese a specialty that's traditionally filled with steak melted cheese topped with lettuce tomatoes and spread with garlic seasoned mayonnaise and then the quesadilla my daughter's favorite the familiar sandwich known as a quesadilla is a cheese filled and often meat and vegetable filled tortilla folded in half and grilled originated in mexico the cuban and cuba the cuban prepared on cuban bread with swiss cheese melted over ham and roasted pork and topped with pickles mustard and comes from cuba is uh, is made way in florida and it's a sandwich icon in tampa and miami oh i don't know about this particularly you've got the the vegemite grilled cheese good eye you want a vegemite for aussies there's nothing simpler than tasting than a vegemite grilled cheese sandwich with melted cheese on one side and vegemite on the other that sounds absolutely hideous and then probably the strangest one, of course, it has to be the English one. The strangest name is the Welsh rabbit. Not rabbit, it's rabbit and buck rabbit. This classic grilled cheese is traditionally made by toasting thick slices of bread in the oven, then pouring a savoury sauce. It sounds like a croque monsieur. Have we, uh, have we stirred this from the uh, French cousins? Uh, consisting of melted cheese, beer and seasonings like mustard, cayenne pepper, paprika and Worcestershire sauce. Try saying that, my American friends. Over the bread, a buck rabbit is the same, but with a fried egg on top. I think we, ch I think, I had to say to my English, my fellow Englishmen and English women out there, I think we stole the croc monsieur. The croc monsieur became the Welsh rabbit. And for that, I'm very sorry.
Alright, so cricket is a rather odd game for many people. Unless you're from the UK, Australia, South Africa, West Indies, Pakistan, India. But for many people, it's a rather strange name. And some of, one of the oddest parts of the game, I mean, other than the rules and trying to explain the rules to people, are the, um, the names of the fielding positions. I mean, you get them in baseball, you know, first base, second base, you know, out in the outfield, catchers, um, and, and all of the rest. But in cricket, you have such fielding positions, such as a square leg. So it doesn't. This isn't like a deformed person with with a, you know, with a rather sort of obscure, slightly pointy squared leg. No, that's not it. A fielder position perpendicular to the pitch and on the leg side of the batsman is said to be placed at the square leg, meaning the position got its name with square, meaning nearer to the line of the crease of the wicket. So then you've got the slip. It got its name after captains started placing a fielder behind the wicketkeeper to take advantage of any slip or mistake by the batsman. The gully is a narrow channel. The fielder was placed there to get hold of the ball, passing for a narrow gap. The gully. And then uh, you get probably my favourite of all is the silly point. And you and you have silly pit mid off. You have silly points. Basically, the silly position is a position in front of the batsman on the offside and as the position got its name because it was so silly to stand there so close to the batsman you get hit in the head and then all ever sorts of nasty injuries so i definitely live in a rather odd neighborhood to say the least <clears throat> i mean it's very suburban but this morning i was out walking the hounds and um somebody had left outside you know four or five days before trash day uh some planks with nails protruding. I mean, it, it did look like a uh, bed of nails. And of course, clumsy chappy the butler uh, did uh, did step on one of the boards and the uh, nail did go into the shoe. But don't worry, it was a little prick. No need to no need to be concerned. No no letters or postcards of concern, please. But I mean, what a ridiculous thing to do to leave basically a, a bed of nails outside your house uh, for all sorts of uh, manner injury and what who knows what else could happen to uh, to a passerby I mean somebody could slip on the ice and, and and be have their bottom impaled on a nail I mean it's absolutely ridiculous so you know I'm not going to um, not going to complain to the neighborhood association or anything like that but it made me think I'm not sure I understand nor do I, Siri. Um, but I'm not too uh, I'm not too sure or fay about the history of the bed of nails. So apparently, the history of the bed of nails, or Kantakasaya bed of thorns, can be traced back to one of the two epic Sanskrit poems of ancient India, uh, the Marashabrata, written between 400 and 200 BCE. I mean, this was literally what was outside the neighbor's house. I mean, the bed of nails is an oblong piece of wood, which as was, size of a bed, maybe a small bed, midget bed, perhaps, with nails pointing upwards out of it. It appears to be the spectator that anybody lying on this bed will be injured by the nails, but this is not so. Assuming the nails are numerous enough, the weight is distributed among them so that the pressure exerted by each nail is not enough to punch the person's skin. 
I mean, it's used for magic tricks or physics demonstrations. A famous example uh, would be a volunteer lying on a bed of several thousand nails with a board on top of him. Cinder blocks are placed on the board and then smashed with a sledgehammer. Despite the seemingly unavoidable force, the volunteer is not even harmed. I mean, the bed of nails can be used for meditation, particularly in Asia, and has certain health benefits such as back pain relief through acupressure. Less traditional settings such as science centers use electronical retractable bed of nails where the user lies on a flat plastic bed with holes in it and then can activate the machine to have nails rise up all at once. The nails should retract before getting off the bed. This retraction eliminates the most dangerous part of the bed of nails, getting on and off the bed. I mean, that's how I feel when I get up in the morning. Getting, getting out of bed in the morning is probably the most dangerous part of the day for me, I think. So, just to look at a couple of Guinness Book of World Records, most motorcycles driven over the body while laying in a bed of nails achieved by Burnaby Q. Orbachs are the monsters of Schlock. On the 26th of October 2015, he had 70 motorbikes driven over him in two minutes while laying in a bed of nails. And the heaviest concrete block break on a bed of nails achieved by Neil Hardy uh, in 2012, he had 15 blocks weighing 774.99 kilograms placed in his chest and broken. Now, my favourite of all, the most melons chopped in half by somebody's stomach with samurai swords while laying on a bed of nails achieved by Johnny Strange when he chopped 10 watermelons in half on the stomach of his assistant in 30 seconds. And uh, most, uh, most layered bed of nails sandwich achieved by Vispian team in India on the 23rd of February 2011 when they performed a five-layer bed of nails sandwich. So the whole theory is that the nails create more blood flow to the area and this can help break down fat groupings. Increasingly, the uh, backs of my thighs look like it could be sitting on a wicker chair if you do the whole bed of nails things. So anything that offers to break up fat groupings is fine by me. But you know what? I, I think I might, you know, go on a gentle stroll rather than... Uh, rather than lay on a, a, a bed of nails, you know, because I, I don't want to end up like an inverted porcupine. So if you listen very carefully, there's a pig frenzy going on downstairs right now. I mean, I'm in my, I'm in my cushioned sound booth, but uh, that's Maggie going, going, uh, going nuts with uh with the pig so anyway a little fun game if you if, i mean i'm, I'm going to be snowed in tonight probably i don't think anybody else well maybe some of the denver listeners will be potentially uh, but everybody else around the world i'm sure is having a lovely spring but one of the things that you need to do tonight is tune in go on to you know wherever you stream your music and look at maloko m-o-l-o-k-o sing it back and in the middle of that song, or throughout that song, you can see somebody oinking a rubber pig. Just as Maggie is at the moment. Maybe she was the percussionist on Maloko's Sing It Back. But there is, on that song, somebody oinking, very vociferously, a rubber pig. Okay, so we have another fireside butler ghost tale. Perfect for a snowy, blizzardy night. The ruins of Minster Lovell Hall. Haunted by the ghost of Lord Lovell, Minster Lovell Hall is a ruined, 
home of the Lambert Simnel supporting family. After the Battle of Stoke, Lover went into hiding, looked after by one faithful servant. When the servant died, his master starved to death. When the house was being repaired in 1718, a vault was uncovered in which the skeleton was found with the skeleton's dog at his feet. The figure of Lord Lovell described as being a tall man, often wore a cloak, has been seen walking through the ruins, sometimes accompanied by the sound of rustling paper. So after a year of no bras for the ladies, things are looking up. So when shutdown left us stranded at home, some women clamoured for a tangible sense of freedom. I mean, talk about the women. How about the guys? I mean, the women have given up the bras after lockdown and COVID and gaining those uh, probably 20 pounds. Uh, men need the moobage support now. They need the moob and the moobage support of the bra. So, I mean, this is an entrepreneurial area where I think people could really, uh, really thrive making mood bras for men after covid they need it i mean i probably need not only the mood bra but sort of a something to lift up my chin as well i mean i'm wondering if you could uh, maybe uh, slightly adjust or fine-tune the bra so it could lift up the double chin to make one's jawline look a little bit sleeker i mean that that, that could be a possibility as well there's no doubt about it but uh, I, I don't need the freedom. I don't, <clears throat> they don't need to be out of control, falling out of the polo shirt. I mean, it could be a real problem, I think. But there are solutions, which is rather wonderful. And on a similar subject, men hit the Botox to cope with the cruel gaze of Zoom. Daily video calls have taken their toll on the male ego and has been a surge in men seeking cosmetic procedures to make them zoom ready, according to plastic surgeons. There was a 70% rise in requests for video consultations for new cosmetic procedures. In 2020, the British Association for Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons found, also known as BAPS, um, a third of plastic surgeons surveyed saw an increase in men seeking virtual consultations. Celinda Johnson, medical director at the London Cosmetic Clinic, said as people are on Zoom calls a lot, they have seen themselves in detail from the screen. And some concerns that uh, need correction, for example, wrinkles, dark eye circles, face sagging. As I said earlier, there's a double chin sagging and the moobage. Um, Johnson told Guardian most popular treatments for men, including uh, Botox to reduce wrinkles, Derma filler for jawline definition, chin enhancements, and a procedure called face tight that uh, reduces double chins. Uh, some 11% of men feel as they look five years old as a result of the stress brought down by lockdown, according to the report uh, by uh, the University Clinic last year. Research by BAPS found that men now wanted to look tweaked rather than tucked. The organization has warned that unscrupulous cosmetic surgery providers are cashing in on post-pandemic Zoom booms by coercing vulnerable patients into buying cosmetic surgery procedures. So we have uh, BAPS also claims to advance uh, safety, education and innovation. It's warning the public not to fall prey to unethical marketing tactics. It's warned that virtual cosmetic surgery consultations could be attempt to lure people into panic buying. Um, and also, 75% uh, of patients who have uh, video consultations have to go to actual surgery. Some 33% of BAPS members saw an increase in men seeking virtual consultations. 
Uh, more invasive procedures are demanding as people can stay at home and hide the swelling and bruising. As for the popularity of injectables, the treatment itself has minimal downtime and results can naturally uh, be naturally looking uh, depending on the dosage and techniques of the injection. You see, as I've answered my, I've answered my own question. I think there is, there is a market out there for uh, for for the men who've got a little bit flabby um, over over lockdown. I actually, I actually, when I went to the doctors the other week and uh, and stripped down. I mean, I never like doing that anyway, but. I, I've actually gained no weight over COVID. So I think that's a bloody miracle. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to celebrate by having a curry tonight, I think. Because this is probably the last time in about four or five days I could probably order food. Because I'm going to be snowed in. So I'm going to hunker down with a curry tonight. So there are plans to bring back woolly mammoths to tackle climate crisis. Applicants wanted. Harvard Biotech jobs. Salary $75,000. Skills required. Genetics research. Uh, background cell starter ability to resurrect ancient megafauna from extinction the u.s uh, scientific foundation has advertised for researcher to work at the university tasked with carrying out the first steps in bringing back woolly mammoths the successful candidate will be based in a laboratory in george church a geneticist who is convinced though many of his colleagues have reservations that it's possible to help restore the arctic tundra to its prehistoric glory by reintroducing ancient megafauna the tundra was once a grassland ecosystem known as a mammoth steppe the uh, job advert says home to abundant grazing herds of woolly mammoths antelope deer caribou horses and bison without the grazers the grassland went leading to different ecosystems that sequesters less carbon but the old uh, piercine environment could perhaps return advances in genetic Biotechnology are presenting the possibility of bringing back long extinct species. The woolly mammoth has emerged as the leading candidate for this work. DNA degrades after animal dies, but the past two decades scientists have been able to piece together much of the mammoth's genome from carcasses preserved in permafrost. This on its own is not enough to bring it back. The technology does not exist to create a mammoth purely from genome. It needs an egg and a womb to develop in. Church, who works at the U.S. group Revive and Restore, argues that such an egg exists in the mammoth's less woolly cousin, the Asian elephant. By identifying parts of the genome that differ, particularly those that make the mammoth adapted to cold, he says, it should be able to tweak the egg to create a mammothunt, an Arctic-adapted elephant that could roam the Siberian steppes. Conservationists believe that this could fundamentally alter the ecosystem. I mean, the question is, though, if you create this uh, mammothunt, I mean, you have to make sure that the uh, mammoth's going to have uh, a big bushy furry coat. Because if not, it's not going to be able to survive in Siberia and, uh, and move along the grasslands in the, in, the, in the cold of Siberia anymore. So, you know, you're going to have to have a rather hessute mammoth from, uh, from this uh, genetic uh, fine-tuning. So as the butler was uh, going through <clears throat> his domestic duties um, a few weeks ago, I, uh, I, put, I put everything into the dryer. Um, now I always, I always dry to slightly damp and then get a very hot iron and some starch to press everything. But uh, you know, it needs a little bit of heat in there to begin and it does help get out all of those <clears throat> nasty wrinkles. So anyway, I, I put everything in the dryer 
It started, and it was a godforsaken rattle, like a death rattle, like a, a mouse stuck in a snare drum or something. And it was it banging and crashing, and I was thinking, well, I don't think my uh, my pantaloons are that heavy and uh, iron wrought. But I opened up the uh, I opened up the uh, the dryer, and I was trying to trying to find out what this was. I mean, it it wasn't a it wasn't a gold sovereign or a, a silver piece you put in a Christmas pudding or anything like that. That's what I thought it might be. Sometimes even the smallest of coins make the biggest death rattle. So I was like looking around, and uh, inside there was a a piece of bone, a piece of bone with the marrow still in it. And it was swirling around all my clothes. So there's a there was a dog bone, a bit or a beef bone that the dog likes to chew, uh, rattling around inside the dryer. And I haven't been able to get the smell of marrow bone out of my clothes for a while. Now I don't know. I don't think the smell of marrow bone is a particularly luring smell, but uh, I think that's why I have a pack of dogs uh, following me down the road every morning. So now we have a little game that we like to call Trump, or indeed Trombone, where we take probably the most despicable headlines of the week and equate them to either a raspy Trump or a wah-wah sad trombone. Neither option is particularly good, to be honest. But this week we uh, we kick off uh, with you know a lovely little article from the Daily Star, quality newspaper. Uh, zombie fish baffle scientists having come back to life 20 years since extinction. The southern purple spotted gudgeon was declared extinct in Victoria, Australia until one was found 20 years later, leading to a new captive breeding, pro breeding program to bring it back uh, to life and bring back the species. I mean, I feel like it's almost like the US's take on fish and chips. Zombie fish with a rather ghoulish batter. And Lost City of Gold to JFK's swipe brain, places and things that mysteriously vanish. Some of the most fascinating missing tales revolve around things and places rather than actually people. Uh, one of the most famous, though, uh, is the mystery long surrounded the assassination of John Kennedy. The creepiest element was the fate of his brain. After his shot on November the 22nd, 1963, his brain was removed at the autopsy and preserved but it's mysteriously vanished in 1965. Allegedly, Trump's brain was swiped, uh, but like Atlantis, archaeologists felt it was washed away centuries ago. And Zoo was rumbled after trying to replace Wolf with Rottweiler Dog as it's cheaper. The uh, Zingwashan Zoo in China needed a replacement when its wolf died, so used the Rottweiler Dog after bosses argued it was cheaper and visitors wouldn't mind as it's a close relative. Oh dear, somebody was affected by the wolf lunar cycle. Definitely a howler at the moon. And apparently budgie smugglers are back. Speedo's skimpy swim trunks featured in latest fashion shows. When Britain's blokes uh, and world blokes eventually get a chance to strut their stuff on the beach again, they'll be wearing skimpy Speedo-style uh, budgie smuggler briefs, according to Fashion Insiders. There is a warning on the label not to wear in cold weather. It would be similar to throwing a shriveled shrimp on the barbie. Okay, we've got St. Patrick's Day in a couple of days' time. And today on Keep Common Cauliflower Cheese, we're combining snow with Irishmen, or the Irish. And this is our uh, this is our first joke, and we have another snow and Irishman-related joke tomorrow. Uh, so here we go. 
An Irishman was found dead after four foot of snow thawed. The pathologist was asked by the detective how he thought the chap had died. Well, he plunged to his death into the frothy snowdrift. Was there a note or anything? Yes, there was something etched on a beer mat. And it said, I'm never coming back to this plate. The pint's all head. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. As I head into a very snowy night, I have to go and find my shovel and bring it inside just in case I might be snowed in. The only thing I'll be able to do is record a podcast tomorrow. Maybe it'll be hours long between sipping of tea. Who knows? But stay warm out there. Stay safe out there. Keep cheese on Twitter. Keep coming cauliflower cheese on Instagram. Uh, across all of the platforms. I was on Audio Burst this week. They were showcasing me for some nonsensical reason. But thank you to Audio Burst. And uh, we finish with a little poem by Ruth Velinsky, The Silence of the Snow. The night sky is dull, grey, white, an opaque dust sheet floats so light. Upon the roofs and lamps and cars it settles so softly like falling stars. It sneaks in crevices and onto windowsills, piles up in soft layers over roads and hills, weighs down branches, envelops bark, skips and flutters across the depth of dark. With dawn a scene of raw meringue from bough to bough to bridge and roof does hang. Though night's deep slumber, a silent world descended, a ghostly shroud unfurled. In slow motion, life begins to show, the traffic crawls in funeral row. Children squeal in soundless delight, pedestrians slide in voiceless fright. A world transformed into monochrome, an aerosol sky spraying its white foam, floating in breathless, boundless speed, submerging all the voracious greed. But as Seamus Heaney once said, and I think this is true to coronavirus as it is through making uh, for a historic snowstorm, if we winter this one out, we can summer anywhere. Toodaloo for now.